drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, drop Podcast. Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome my friend and mentor, not really a mentor, more a friend, Chris Mann, uh, former pro gamer, the first pro gamer to be on this podcast, former COO of Alt Esports Apparel, and currently the COO of SubNation. Welcome, Chris. Hello, hello. Thank you, John. Appreciate you having me here, obviously. And I uh, would like to say that uh, we are each other's mentor, so I appreciate you and you appreciate mm. me, right? Very much so. Very much so. Actually, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on because I, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but my perspective of you is like, I think you're you're such a unique guy because you're you have such an in-depth experience with gaming and esports, like on the pro level, like we'll show the, ner- the nerd scar, you know, mothers oh, take yeah. your children away from the... <laughs> is that my is that my cue? This is this is this is said nerd scar right here. Dang. It is it is long. It's looking particularly uh lush today. Uh but yeah, no, this is uh this is cubital tunnel syndrome. This is what happens when you ignore ergonomics and think that you are Superman uh and play video games for I am I don't know, let's just say 20 hours a day kind of situation Dang. for many years. Oh, yes. You need some sleep, So it was sleep, a casual brother. thing. It was casual, right? Pretty casual. Pretty casual. <laughs> so, yeah, you have this, like, really interesting story, like, within gaming, but you're also, you have amazing experience, knowledge from a business perspective. I love calling you, and I, I get advice from you all the time or love to bounce ideas off of you. And so that's that's super rare, you know? And so I'm glad to have you here and drop some knowledge on our yeah, audience. I appreciate that, man. I know, I know this is getting rolling. So like I said, absolute an honor and a privilege and pleasure to be here. I look forward to getting into it with you here and uh, letting the world know about what we talk about privately, of course. Well, we won't tell everybody about all the things we talk about privately, but what we <laughs> will talk about is how we first met. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm always interested to hear a, another person's perspective of the situation. So um, let's see. I had become really good friends with Nate over at Alt, mm-hmm. uh, we met at uh, Esports Rising, and uh, we're you know I was like, man, we need to get this stuff into GameStop because I was just such a fan of the brand. Um, I was like, show the shirt, show the shirt you have on right now. You know, rep, 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 rep. Destroyer of Worlds. That was uh, from our second drop uh, with Zoomies, actually. The, nice. uh, the skate shop. Yep. Yeah, I love this shirt, but I got to be careful when to wear it. Like for the <laughs> for the audience here. It's a little scary. It's a little scary. Uh, I wore it one time. I have a five-year-old son. Shout out Johnny 2.0. Um, 2.0 because he's the better version of me. But um, I wore this shirt one time uh, when I picked him up and he looked at me like a little stunned. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. This shirt's a little scary. <laughs> sure, sure. Certainly on the uh, the edgier side of, of some of Nate's amazing designs that he's he's still putting out. You know, I'm excited for his new line coming too, pretty soon, right? Yeah, reset, reset coming soon. I'm excited about mm-hmm. it too. So yeah, uh, I met you. Uh, you guys came out to Dallas. We had an unsuccessful pitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we tried. GameStop. <laughs> we sure tried. My goodness, I thought I, I thought we had you guys sold in, and um, oh my goodness, some of the feedback from that meeting. Of like the merch dudes, like I don't, I don't even want to know. I don't uh, even want to know. We I'm went sure through a lot. We went through a lot, as I'm sure Nate has told you on his episode with uh, trying to open up the category. You know, so yeah, strange to think that you know a gaming store having gaming products that are awesome and modern and wearable. You know, weird fit, right? It doesn't make sense in my mind. <laughs> um, in fact, so I'm going to tell you one of the pieces of feedback, and you're going to probably stab yourself in the face with a fork. Okay. Um, which was, I just don't get it. You know, like maybe if there was like, like a pouch to hold a controller or something in the jacket. Oh boy. Technical wear in gaming and esports. That is one of my least <laughs> staring <laughs> off over at the, it's like the 10 mile stare right now. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to say yes, yes. And absolutely. I will say I'm not throwing shade at GameStop cause I love 
my friends at GameStop, I'm just throwing shade at one individual who will remain <laughs> nameless for that terrible <laughs> take. And it's like, yeah, you never know when a match is going to break out. You know, just like <laughs> you got to just just bust it out. I wish I had a controller to just grab right now. I don't. But yeah, yeah you, you can never be too ready. Right. Never. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. And then we let's see. We hung out. We went over to the GameStop Performance Center. I believe the mm-hmm. sign had just gone up. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't even open yet to the public. This was uh, about a month before. But yeah, it was my first trip to Frisco and yeah. just seeing your whole world. It was, it was amazing. We had nachos. That was That's what like I think also kicked off Nacho Nate was <laughs> on, on that trip, he literally had nachos every meal. There was definitely lunch and dinner nachos one day. I, I'm not going to lie. I was slightly concerned, but you know, it's all good. He's, uh, he's, he, as we used to call our, our internal little marketing company that we had dad bots. So, so we were working <laughs> on dad bots, you know, it's totally normal, right? <laughs> Incredible. I'm working on mine. It's getting better every day. Same. So, uh, take me back. Uh, like, so you've got this incredible journey. Uh, you know, you've been a pro player, number one ranked at, at, at one point until you were overtaken, um, by a, oh, a yeah. population of people, um, in the, <laughs> the south southeast asia is that right that's true yeah that is that is correct yeah you know it was it was interesting because growing up you know i obviously identify as as a gamer as a lifelong gamer you know primarily yeah. first and foremost i was the uh i was one of three sons in a family uh that was really focused on music and the music business you know both on the talent side as well as the label side cool and and look honestly i didn't I went through my stint of band management and, you know, played around in the music world for a while, but I'm deeply passionate about music, but never as much as I was about video games. So when I was growing up, you know, gaming really gave me that outlet, you know, to connect with my friends locally Mm -hmm. first. And then we started online multiplayer. You know, I was very fortunate growing up in that, you know, we had pretty decent internet connections out of the house because my dad did a lot of work there. And, Um, so online multiplayer games, was really, I would, instead of playing TV, uh, I would go home, do my homework, go play in the street and then we'd get dark and then we'd all just hop on the computer and start grinding, you know, age of empires or command and conquer. I was a real real time strategy junkie back in the day when I was younger. Yeah. Starcraft being, you know, a natural evolution of the Warcraft series. Uh, and that was the first thing I took very seriously. Yeah. And so what age was that when you like, were like, man, this is something I want to do. It was high school for me. So I was, uh, I really, going into high school, uh, freshman, junior year um, was was really when the gaming thing started to take off for me. Uh, I I always was a little bit better than my friends growing up. You know, my older brother, infamously, I would let him win so that I wouldn't get beat up, right? I would always get punched by him. It's pretty (laughs) typical, you know, older brother, younger brother dichotomy. But yeah, excuse me. Basically, yeah, you know, I, I I don't know. I when you look at a game, you kind of look at at the mechanics behind it. But I don't play games first just to enjoy and play the game, which is kind of strange. It's it's sort of like a blessing and a curse. Uh, mm-hmm. I look at the game. I try to figure out the mechanic. I try to look for, you know, repeating patterns or themes, sometimes bugs, you know, and and using them to create competitive advantages to crush your enemies. Uh, oh, I, love I was that. that weird kid growing up quoting Sun Tzu yelling the art of war quotes, you know, when I was in like junior high, I think my parents were slightly uh, concerned about all of that, but, uh, but no, it obviously translated. And and here I am, you know, I'm a professional mom and dad, you know, I told you it would, it would turn into something here. Yeah. Like rather than hearing profanities coming through the wall, they hear art of war quotes and they're like, Oh, we really got to do something about this video game thing. That's amazing. it, It was, it was a fun, it was a fun initial journey, but Yes, uh, StarCraft, as I said, was was the first game I took really seriously. I was number one on the the U.S. ladders and then the global ladders uh, GM ranked. This was back in the days before, you know, being a pro player. I'll never forget this moment. Um, esports obviously wasn't really a thing at this point. It yeah. wasn't conceived of, but uh, I always knew I wanted a career in gaming. So I, I remember NVIDIA sent me a graphics card at one point. Nice. And I thought to myself, 
is this it? Like I'm, I'm, I'm sponsored, you know, I'm a pro gamer now. I got a graphics card. So back in like, in like the, like Uh, the year 2000, you know, that's what it meant at that point. So I like to think that, you know, if I was two decades younger, uh, that we'd be having a different conversation right now, (laughs) man. Like I can so relate through my skateboarding. I remember, um, you know, I was always sending sponsor me tapes out to, to board companies and stuff. And Mm -hmm. when, I got a, a board from Think Skateboards. Think Skateboards was from San Francisco, and one of their riders skated for the same, sh- one of their pros skated for the same skate shop that I did. And they sent me a board, but they sent me a note and they were like, keep it up. You need to get a little better. Here's a board. And I thought I was sponsored by them. <laughs> I was like 14, and it was my first free board that I ever got. And I broke it like within five minutes of skating. <laughs> I was skating like a seven stair and like I think kick flip and my my foot landed in the middle. And you know, boards break sometimes when you're jumping Smashed downstairs. It. So you when you hit him up for a second one, they said, Yeah, yeah, no, there's a local store you could go buy one at, right? Well, my the skate <laughs> shop, I, I was sponsored by a skate shop and uh I was their first rider, so my sponsorship kind of evolved over time and it, it was a little bit of a pain point too, like, hey, what should John get? and this whole thing and this was really before everybody was spot like nowadays everybody's sponsored back then it was like rumored that like one dude was sponsored who lived mm. one town away so it also helped that i grew up in a small town so you know it's not like i was like leading the charge and skateboarding sponsorship it was that i lived in a very small town where you know things hadn't progressed to that level but the the owner of the skate shop called the company and he's like hey did you sponsor my dude john and they're like, no, uh, we just sent him a board. And I was like, oh, <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> womp, womp. Okay, yeah. so in video graphics card, what was the yep. next step of uh, success in, in this um, epic journey? You know, uh, I was graduating high school, going into college, uh, all the rage at that point. Uh, you know, I'm not embarrassed to admit I was a heavily, heavily addicted EverQuest junkie. Okay. So, you know, I was a uh, MMORPG and uh, going into, it was a little more casual, a little less hardcore. Uh, and by the way, you know, part of what we talked about earlier, uh, I fully attribute to StarCraft, right? I, I kind of joke that, yeah. you know, this cubital tunnel syndrome thing is what uh, 450 actions per minute, which was sort of my peak, right? APM is the measurement of how quickly you can micromanage and macro inside StarCraft, right? Yeah. Uh, so 450 APM, you know, two decades later means nerve damage and surgery, right? <laughs> so Jeez. this is one of the, the early learnings that uh, I think our industry is having about the shelf life of people that are hyper-competitive in specific yeah. games and looking at, you know, and borrowing uh, basically from traditional sports, right? Uh, yeah. Sports medicine, sports therapy, like all of that stuff. I'm so glad that, you know, modern day esports athletes, really pro athletes is what I consider them, have the same, in some cases, the same access to that kind of, of medical and wellness and lifestyle kind of well-being stuff uh, that we didn't have two decades ago. Yeah, I think, you know, you see complexity, I think, is like the leader in that. And, you mm-hmm. know, these guys are eating at the same table as the, the Cowboys football players. But what was a trip to me, you know, I used to live right next to the star in Frisco. So I would go over there all the time because I was like, just seeing that tangible sign, dude, like, when I'm in Frisco mm-hmm. nowadays, I'll just drive by just to like to look at the side. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's still there. I told yeah. Jason Lake that like if GameStop doesn't renew the, you know, the naming rights deal when it's over, I was like, let me get a letter, you know, like let me get <laughs> the G, you know, or uh, or the G, S, and P, and C because we call it GSPC. Like, sure. Even the garage, dude, that'd be epic. I would, I would have that forever. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to go out and say you deserve that. So you thank know, you. if that ends up going missing somehow, though, I have nothing to do with it and neither do you. So just wanted to throw that out there for the world. Well, when I went to PRG, I was like, um, you know, joking about like taking down all the letters except for the PR and the G. <laughs> 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 I've been epic. Oh, man. So it, it's, it was interesting, right? Because as I, as I was getting into uh, as I was getting into college, right, I went to USC for a couple years. And, Trojans. Uh, and yep. Whoop. Yep. Go Trojans. Uh, I actually transferred out of USC uh, as a junior. Uh, oh, here we go. It wasn't really the school. The school itself wasn't uh, a problem. 
the neighborhood kind of got me. I'm not going to lie. I, uh, my second year, first year, you can only, you live on campus. The first year as a freshman, they have enough housing for that, but okay. you know, sophomore year, you're kind of on your own. Um, okay. and this is, man, this is back like 2001, right? Uh, actually the, the, the year that nine 11 happened, um, I was a freshman in my dorm at USC living in oh, downtown LA. And you know, it was, it was, it was really, really strange, um, being in a major metropolitan area, uh, during that, that, really tragic time but yeah um you know the the neighborhood there was was a little rough um so as a sophomore you know i lived real one block behind uh where all the fraternities and sorority houses were i wasn't a greek guy there um so i was sort of an independent dude and yeah the neighborhood kind of got the better of me i i uh, i'm not lying when i say uh i was mugged more than five times my apartment was broken into twice uh, my car, I'm pretty sure there were folks living in it every night. It was a carport under my, my apartment. Yikes. I could hear them opening it, you know, it was a weird year. So, uh, I decided to take my yeah. things and go to the beach and I transferred to Loyola Marymount for the rest of my undergrad. Uh, and that's when I started getting really serious about my career. Um, uh, not serious enough that I obviously didn't finish school, but, um, you know, I, I, at that point, uh, was starting, uh, I was in a, sort of like the modern day mailroom equivalent in the gaming world. So yeah. I was a QA quality assurance tester for mobile games uh, for Sony pictures, uh, working for 10 bucks an hour. And you that know, sounds like I, a dream job for a college. It kid. was, it was awesome, man. It was awesome. I'm not they're playing, like, they're paying I, you to play video games to make sure they're good. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it is, it is, it's fun for about a week. And then when you play wheel of fortune or jeopardy <laughs> or the New York times crossword puzzle for your 8,000th time, you know, yeah. in one month, <laughs> you're kind of like, well, this is, this kind of sucks. The um, reality of the fantasy. Yeah. It's right. Like, so oh. when, you know, when I was, when I was in college, it was great because it was easy. It was casual. It was, I don't want to say mindless, but it was the right kind of work for me at the time. Um, when I graduated from, from Loyola Marymount, I actually went back to Sony pictures. Uh, I stopped working there for a little bit because my elbow was starting to hurt. That was the beginning phases of my, my, pre-surgery time when I couldn't even hold a cell phone in my left arm. So I stopped working as a cell phone game tester. I was going to say, um, this is like... Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. I remember holding, holding I was back. holding like a Motorola, a V3, you know, the little, the first little razor. Oh, I used to sell cell phones. Phone. I know. Oh yeah. You know them well, right? Yeah. I, I used to know every make and model from every carrier. Um, <laughs> and, and I couldn't hold, like if you make games for them, you got to know them all, right? Um, right. I, I couldn't even hold the phone. It was just sliding out of my hand. I was losing <laughs> all of my, my grip. So I went to my boss and said, you know, I don't think I can do this anymore. I can't even hold this phone right now. You know, this, this kind of sucks. So did you, I took the, did you have the, an issue with like dropping things on the regular? Like you're like, no, eat, no. like coffee and like <laughs> food, I, you know, I, it was at that time it was, it was mostly uh, just, just the cell phones from okay. work. Um, as I think back on it, I'm sure there were other moments and, you know, my wife would certainly tell you that, that, that it hasn't gotten any better, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you that, but I certainly haven't dropped my three-year-old son ever. So, you know, there's that. I, I that was the only thing I've ever been worried about with this is how am I going to hold and carry my, my child? Uh, right. But I'm pleased to say that it's been successful so far. Well, glad um, to hear it. Yeah. So anyway, I got really serious after, uh, I graduated and went back in with the same job and, um, within about. You know, my time at Sony Pictures was really special. Uh, I was one of the first employees doing mobile entertainment at the studio. So the level of access that that granted us, I mean, man, we were basically reporting to like divisional presidents as as very young wow. people with zero work experience whatsoever. Um, and so I grew up professionally very quickly. Yeah. My most formative years were at Sony Pictures, you know, reporting to some of the the brightest, best people that I've ever worked with. Uh, and I believe in many ways that was my launching pad to, you know, actually taking one step back, uh, you know, I back in, you know, right around 2000, 2001, when we were starting to apply for colleges at that point, yeah. you know, it, it turned into, I was pretty active, um, with like, with, with what today is known as team liquid, but this was before team liquid became, you know, team liquid you know, it was a gaming community centered around StarCraft. And we loved, I mean, loved the game so much, you know, the yeah. guys like like Dan and Artosis and Total Biscuit. And, you know, even some of the, a lot of the casting characters that we still interface with on the regular today in this industry, 
Um, there are old StarCraft cronies of mine, which is which is pretty funny. But yeah, it's I cool. remember thinking to myself that it was time to, you know, get serious and go get a real job, you know, because graphics card do- doesn't pay the bills, right? <laughs> right? Um, yeah. There was no actual money in it at this time. Uh, so I remember thinking to myself, oh, you know, I'm going to go work uh, as a game tester. And so I went really crazy in my 20s on my career. Um, and and tried to accelerate it as much as I possibly could in the true gamer fashion, just grinding, you know? Yeah, that's super cool, and that makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, I've always seen you as somebody who's, like, really senior as far as just your your <laughs> understanding of, like, business and stuff, you know? And, um, and you know, I, I value that a lot every time I talk to you. And so that makes sense that early on in your career, you had people modeling that for you. And it sounds too like you were aware of it at the time. Mm-hmm. So you were, is it accurate that you were actively paying attention and seeing how these executives operated and picking up things from them? Yeah. All, yeah. Pretty, pretty frequently. I mean, the, I learned a lot about what not to do, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, I got a little bit lucky too. I mean, it, you know, what it, it, they say, uh, yeah, luck it's better be lucky than good. Sometimes, right? Sometimes, uh, right place, right time. You, you know, in yeah. some cases, and you know, I was very fortunate to be in the right job as a junior person who was really close to the doing. You know, not a lot of people understood what it right. took to put video games on cell phones at the time. I mean, we did some amazing stuff. Like we adapted the very first Sony uh, PlayStation IP with Ratchet and Clank. Uh, I'll never yeah. forget this. We convinced our one of our parents like so sony pictures obviously is owned by sony you know corporation and there's lots of subsidiaries of that and sony computer entertainment america is playstation right um so back back then you know it was unheard of as it for a japanese company uh really you know a lot of the asian game developers and publishers they didn't believe in mobile at the time because look imagine putting this beautiful creation and this amazing art and everything that you're doing onto a screen that's like tiny screen this big yeah you know, like it, that's really interesting it wasn't a thing so we had to fight you know really hard quite frankly um and it wasn't even about business at that point it was just about extending the relationship with emerging consumers uh so innovation has always been uh, sort of at the the forefront of what i prioritize in my career like how can i learn about things and and invent and create as we go yeah. I, I was i was i made that comment about finishing school you know, I, I learned a lot of good things in school, but when you sit at the, I mean, I hate to say things like bleeding edge, but like when you sit on the emerging side of new industries that are driven by technology and advances in tech, you, you know, you have to come up with new creative ways, not just to build products and design experiences, but, you know, to commercialize businesses around it. And I, I, right. I'll never forget thinking back to, I used to have to cross the picket line as a, as a young professional uh, during the writer's strike, you know, with Sony Pictures, and these guys would look at me. Oh, interesting! And they're like, yeah. "What are you doing? You know, like, what, what you're 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 exploiting us?" And it's like, "No, guys, like, we're trying to figure out digital." At the time, we were losing a lot of money, <laughs> you know, yeah. from a PNL perspective, and I didn't even know what those two letters meant at that point. But you know, what I did know was what that do they mean? I'm, I'm... <laughs> profits and losses, John. We can do a whole segment on okay. that. I've got some good Hold people on. that could uh, that could. Definitely come on and help you with that. Um, actually, all, all seriousness, like I think it'd be really fun to uh, to do something around like financial planning and all of that because if I knew the things. I oh yeah, today, that sounds like a ago. lot of fun. That sounds like the most fun to do something around financial planning. <laughs> Let's just move on. Let's just move on to the next topic. Well, this is a great episode, folks. <laughs> Thank you. Really great to have you on. Have me on today. I crushed it for you. Best guess yet. <laughs> no, um, keep going. Yeah, I just so, like to give you a hard time. It's all good, man. I, it's I, I get it. You know, it's an abusive relationships, but remember, yeah. it's a two way street. So uh, as as I was evolving into my, you know, the, the young version of, uh, of of who I became today, you know, I actually diverged away from games for a little while you know back at, at mm. sony it look mobile games became a big thing like i was starting to say i got lucky early on you know the the mecca of mobile gaming at the time this was before, pre-iphone you know back when yeah. like the blackberry still was actually blue and had that thing on the side with the you know the red blinking dot you know when we were what making was game- the 
what was like the big uh, mobile game at the time? Oh boy, Snake? that was uh, dude in no, high school. It was it, it was Snake. It was Snake. I don't know if that qualified. It was Snake. So Snake was preloaded. So everybody played Snake because it was just there, right? Uh, on every on the Nokia's. Stuff. That's yeah. right. The the ones with the candy bars that you'd flip out like the front, uh, the, the customization oh, yeah. on the the whatever those things were called, the little plastic pieces. You'd accessorize face them. plates. The face oh, yeah. plates. I bet you accessorize your face plate to your outfit, right? I did not actually because I had an Ericsson phone. So I've okay. always like zigged when everyone else is zag, <laughs> zagging, you know? I like and that, man. So it's just like for better or for worse, like I had like a different phone well, than everybody else. You know, the, the number one game, uh, a mobile game that used to vex us all the time because it, it was Electronic Arts, it was EA and it was Tetris, right? So Tetris yeah. was number one every week all the time. But you know, yeah. we, we had our own, we had our own IP that could contend with that from time to time. So our, our big title that would do really well was Wheel of Fortune when I was at Sony. Um, Wheel of Fortune, as we all know, it's eight to 80, amazing game. Uh, but yeah, we could knock down Tetris like maybe one week a month, you know, to be the okay. top selling game. And every single time I'll never forget, there was this guy named Bernard Kim, who's now like some super uber powerful executive at Zynga. Um, he's got cool hair. He's crazy. Um, but Bernard would get so upset every single time we would overtake Tetris that EA would ratchet up their marketing spend and Incredible. like start spiffing everybody out and getting crazy. So I learned really young that, you know, it was more than just, you know, uh, just doing what you needed to do to like get your game out there and do the marketing. It was, you know, who, you know, and you know, how you can get featured and, you know, he got his own category for the game. So it was, man, the mobile game wars were, were pretty brutal and ruthless. Uh, we actually have a group that we call the, uh, the mobile old timers uh, for all the people that were creating content at that point. But anyway, right after that whole, that whole episode, you know, around the mobile game sphere and iPhone started to come out, stuff like that, you know, we, we actually started moving down a video path, you know, so digital video networks. Um, I was part of the team that helped launch Crackle. Uh, so before Sony yeah. had Crackle, uh, we actually acquired a company called Grouper and Sausalito, and we brought them down. There was another company that we were evaluating at the time. It was either Grouper or it was a, a little company called YouTube, right? This is pre-Google's acquisition. H of YouTube? YouTube? Exactly. YouTube? YouTube. So they were, they were basically the same thing at the time. You know, online video oh portal, gosh. similar yeah. size. There was a two million dollar difference in the purchase price between the two of them, so we bought the cheaper uh, one. <laughs> um, and you know, look, Google made YouTube what YouTube was today. Of course, um, yeah, yeah. I'm proud of what Crackle eventually became, but we'd all be crackling instead of YouTube. Yeah, right. You know, I want to be a crackler. That's like, <laughs> dude, this close to every kid across the Say world crackling. saying, "I want to be a crackler." Yeah, I don't know if it has the same sort of uh, ring, but you know, maybe we're just conditioned for that. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, I spent a while going down the, the, the digital video networks path, launching mobile channels, you know, like live TV on feature phones, you know, there used to be this old phone that had an antenna that was literally this big that would come out of the phone. It was amazing. It was this, this thing called media flow. Uh, if anybody remembers that, but I'm definitely oh, dating myself. So anyhow, I uh, spent a long time doing digital video networks, uh, which was sort of the evolution of digital content at the time. It was ringtones, wallpapers, then games, then actually yep. video on your phone. So, you know, shortly after that, you know, I was, I was recruited. Uh, I, I grew pretty quick at Sony pictures, you know, like when you're, when you're yeah. a, a small fish in a big pond, but in a yeah. startup there, uh, you just keep getting like the next job and the next job is as the business started to grow. Uh, cool. And I hit a, you know, you talked about Snake earlier. Um, we had a whole slate of games that we would sell. Uh, but I, I got to know a, a contact at Motorola really well. And we ended up preloading, uh, it was like five or six games on that Razer phone that we talked about earlier, the little yeah. one. Uh, yeah. That was one of the best selling mobile phones in history, right? Oh, yes. And so we got lucky because every unit of that phone that shipped, our games came preloaded on it, just like Snake was on Nokia, Dang. right? And Dude, so we, Razor was the we got move back in the they day. They did like yeah. 500 million units, and we were getting paid like 
I'm not sure I'm allowed to say how much, but we were yeah. getting paid like a low double digit amount per phone that those games were getting wow. loaded on. So, you know, in one deal, our entire business went from making about a million bucks a month selling on carriers to, <laughs> to us not caring as much about the carriers anymore and only wanting to work with the manufacturers at that point. So right. these are some of the fun things that you get into when you, when you're working in emerging tech and, you know, working with great IP, that was the the last time that I worked for, uh, you know, what I want to say, like, is was a large company, like a, a big brand that was really established. Yeah. I I learned at, at that time that I was the kind of guy that liked to build, you know, or, or okay. bring yep. order into chaos a little bit. So I got recruited out of Sony uh, by Mandalay Entertainment, who had just launched a new mm. company called Mandalay Media. This is where things start to get a little... Uh, a little weird. So <laughs> <laughs> if they hadn't been already. So Okay, hold on to your britches, folks. Here we go. Right? So I got, you know, I got recruited out. Um, so basically, I hit my ceiling at Sony because I, I got so many promotions in the five, six years I was there because I started as a QA guy and I peaked right. as like a product manager, account manager, whatever. You know, like, like corporate control thresholds. I was promoted too many times in a short amount of time. So and then the leap to the next one was just like, you're not, that's not an option. Correct. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, my bosses were cool with it because they knew, well, yeah, of course, Chris becomes the next. Yeah, it's Chris. He's running the thing. He does that. I was working with yeah. great people, uh, but I'll never forget getting called into uh, the building where they filmed running man and Arnold, like, you know, uh, at Sony picture studios, like, he actually yeah. slid down the glass there. Uh, that was called SPP. I got summoned to SPP, which is where all the executives sat, right? We were in some little like some little building off to the side in Culver City. Uh, so I get summoned to SPP by uh, basically someone in the HR function. And, I, yeah. and she was maybe the boss of HR at the studio. And she says to me, I walk into her office and she goes, Chris, why do you think you're more special than anyone else who's ever worked here? And I was so taken aback. I'm like, <laughs> what do you, what? Like, what? No, I'm not. Like, why would you say that? That's insane. And she goes, oh, wow. I hear that you're up for a promotion to director and you're too young and your salary ban. And it, like giving me all these reasons why it couldn't happen. By the way, I didn't even know that this was a thing. Right. So from yeah. my perspective, I'm just like, I cool. I guess I'm getting a promotion again. Like, hell yeah, you know, that's great. I had eight business cards in the six years I was there because they shuffled our group around so much. So it's like, who's my oh, boss well. today? Awesome, great. Um, we were just yeah. doing our thing. Um, but yeah, she she basically hazed me to the point where she's like, you're not getting any more promotions while I'm in my job here. And I'll never forget, but the president of my division, I heard his his name was Mike. He came clodding up the the, the hallway slams her door open and he goes, Chris, get up and get out right now. And I'm going, uh, okay. okay. Like you do like, you, yeah. you disappear into the back. Um, the home in the just, bushes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Just, <laughs> and he just get me away from there. Just erase me. It was so yeah. awkward. Uh, and as I was leaving, he slammed the door and just like ripped into her. And I remember thinking to myself, well, this is really toxic. <laughs> like all of them. I don't, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with any of this. So oh my um, gosh, yeah. I, I took a different job offer at that time. And, um, you know, these guys had just purchased a company uh, that I guess they didn't do a lot of due diligence on because there was a lot of revenue and it was in mobile video. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I boring you, John? <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired, man. I woke up at 4 a.m. this today. I've been... Sounds like, a stuff I'm doing right now, Sounds like a personal problem. Sounds like a personal problem. It is. <laughs> I the the one satisfaction I have is that I ruined your video game this morning. Oh yeah, Via can we talk message. about that for a second? You yeah. Know? So you you called me actually, um, <laughs> which wasn't too. I mean, it was seven a.m. my time. You know. I was, uh, <laughs> no, it was it was like eight fifteen. No, I no. want to say it. Uh, we can check. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Uh, I was in my morning ritual. I'm playing this game right now. This mobile game called World War Doe. Um, it's this little indie game developer called Jam City. Uh, yeah. and, you know, they're awesome. But yeah, I'm, I'm currently ranked very high 
like possibly the best rank you can have in the game. Well, you and were. What <laughs> of I was. Yeah, one of the one of the rubs of mobile games is when people call you and you're in the middle of a round, uh-huh. you lose, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I remember thinking, what did I do? I think I took a screenshot of it saying I abandoned the match and sent it to you. And then I just started, you know, trying to make you feel bad. But you didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I was glad my no. boy hit me up. So it's all good. Made my day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's going to take me all night to get back to that spot. So it's okay. I'll get I'm, comfor- I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll sleep well tonight. I hope so, man. I hope so. So look, you know, what I learned at Sony was you need to, sometimes it's, it, sometimes you need to just go, right? Like it, it, yeah. even though amazing opportunities abound, you know, the corporate structure sometimes is counterintuitive to um, young talent that's growing quickly, right? True. Um, which is why I made the decision that I wasn't going to work for large companies maybe ever again, honestly. Well, um, there's different types of people, I think. Like, I mean, that, that was definitely something that I identified at, at GameStop. I was like, I'm just not a big bureaucracy company guy. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing against GameStop. It's more just my skills and my strengths and weaknesses is like, I'm not good at like, it makes me want to pound my face against a wall when you have to like meet with this department about this thing and this department about this thing and then this department about this thing. And it's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like Mm -hmm. just all the work that it takes to get anything done. And then there's the being under leadership, you know, where it's like priorities of the business, right? It's like, hey guys, I got this great idea that's going to like change the world. Well, the priorities of the business right now, and it's like, (laughs) you're like, I don't want to hear that. That just is a no, right? It's just, yeah. And I'm a type of guy like, I like to, um, I don't know, I don't want to pump myself up too much, but I feel like vision, you know, like seeing what can be, Mm -hmm. so you know, people can collaborate is, is one of my strengths. And I had this epiphany the other day as I was, and this was like right after I launched my company, DLC. Um, and so dlcyouth.com.com.com. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, plug, plug. So um, I I realized, wait a minute, if you work in especially a big company and you have one boss, you're limited to that person's vision, you know? And so like, like to sell them the idea or for them to get it, if it's a, if it's somebody who's just an operator who like, like they're not a visionary sort of a person and you can't convince them that like this thing you want to do you're you're out of chances. But if you do your own thing, you have the entire world to go to to say you know, to find the people who get it. And mm-hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk, he said something on, you know, one of his many content pieces and he said time trying to convince somebody who doesn't get it is time you're not spending with someone who gets it. Mm. And that was like an unlock for me. And so that's why I, yeah, I mean, through that experience, long story short, I figured out like, man, big company, the big bureaucracy. Some people do it very well. They're made for it. And yeah, for sure. Hats off to them, but that is not my thing I at all. I call them lifers, man. You know, there were so many Sony lifers, you know, that, that yeah. wanted to, to just to retire there. And I respect that. That's amazing, you know, but I think that, that to your point, I mean, this, I, I started to, to realize that I was really into inventing and making and creating and, and building net new. And it's, it's hard to be inside a startup inside a large company, right? Uh, it's obviously well, well, in like what ways? Instance, like, I'm curious. Cause yeah, so I like, know some people who love that because sure. it lowers the risk. It's like you get to be entrepreneurial, but there's no risk. Well, uh, okay. Look, when so your back's up against a wall, right? Yeah. I, I, what I, what I learned when I traveled internationally for the first time by myself, when you know, I, I neglected to make a, a, I think it was like a hostel reservation or something. I did that. One of those things where you just put a backpack on and you go right. Like that same day. And that's awesome. That yeah. night when I land, I went to Barcelona and I remembered, I'm like, where am I? No, I was in, in Madrid. Where am I going to sleep? And I remember thinking <laughs> to myself, this is literally the first time in my life. And I mean, what a, what a privileged life I had, but, and, but, you know, this is the first time that, that I have to figure this out for myself. And like, no one's going to mm. help me with anything. I'm in a foreign country. I mean, I spoke a little bit of Spanish, you, you know, but it, it just... Un it, poquito. Un poquito, you know, yeah. más o menos. But mm. it, look, the bottom line was 
there are a lot of great things about being inside a big corporation and driving innovation there. Don't get me wrong, right? Health it's, insurance being health insurance yeah. and salary <laughs> and you know stable cash positions as a company and all of these things that you take for granted uh, until yes. you be, you start your own business or until you you know go into managing you know, a startup that, that is an early stage, like a growth phase, or even like an early capital raising phase. So, you know, I just realized at that, at that point in, and getting back to your, your question, actually, um, I think some of the, some of the challenges in being inside an innovation function at a large company is I, I don't want to paint with a big, with too big of a broad stroke, you know, large brush here, but I, sure. I just feel like when you have to, figure something out. You mentioned complexity earlier. Jason Lake is one of my favorite stories. I really hope you have him on this thing. You know, that guy was, yeah. was up to the, to death's door with complexity, you know, before yeah. him and Jerry Jones figured it out and like, look at them now, you know, I mean, they built the GameStop performance center with you and, and, you know, right. all these other things. And I, you know, I just don't think that, that you have to figure things out at a certain point, you might lose your job, but then what you get like a severance package and you have a, the golden parachute uh, and all yeah. that. There's just something about not having a safety net and what you're capable of doing when you have to do it and your survival oh, is on the line. Um, your creativity, your passion, your, your hunger, you know, and that's the word actually, you know, the, you got to be hungry and I'm not it's saying human behavior, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, exactly. So I, I yeah, I was going to say, I can relate like from a skateboarding perspective. What's yeah, kind of funny is, is like the times in my life where my life is easier. I don't skate as well because mm. I'm not really into put it on the line. Sure. You know, like when my life has been rough or like I went through like a breakup or something, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, you're like raw. The most, the most important thing to me in life is landing that trick. And it's like the pain doesn't even matter at that point, you know? And it's like, just go for it. And then like when I got my first like salary job and everything, I was like, Hey, uh, if I don't jump down this set of stairs, my life is still pretty nice. <laughs> you know, like sure. I have, you know, you, like got that, you got that medical insurance to go take care of your, you know, your twisted ankle. Yeah. Dude, I'll tell you what, probably the most, uh, I don't know if surreal is the right word, but the most like on a mission moment I ever had, there was this, this handrail, I have a picture of it, of the trick I did, but, um, this handrail at the community college I grew up, um, next to Reedley college, Reedley in central California near Fresno. Mm. And it's a seven star rail and it goes down and then it has a kink. So it goes way out. So, um, and there's a big pillar at the end so you can't skate it like off the end so a no slide is really the only possible trick but um i'd been wanting to do this trick for for so long and i called my friend up who's the photographer and i remember like before i went i found my insurance card because i was like <laughs> if i have to go to the hospital you I got need it this. on you it's in your pocket right <laughs> yeah it just like i don't know if like maybe that's a foreign thought to people but it was just like funny looking back to think like I was so prepared to go to the hospital expecting <laughs> like, I'm probably going to get wrecked, but I need to go for it. And I landed it. I landed yeah, the trick. That's what yeah. happens, man. It's because you had to, you were ready. Yeah, You, you were had ready to, to roll. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you know, I feel like I'm done. I'm not trying to dump on people that, that, that they're in innovation jobs and big, in big firms, like uh, small yeah. companies yeah. need big companies to survive. It's a, it's a huge part of the ecosystem. Sure. But I, I realized that, that you can, my favorite part about being the small guy um, is that you can move faster. That's the bottom line. Like you absolutely. can oh, agility absolutely. and dexterity and the ability to be autonomous to your point earlier about, you know, all the bureaucracy that you were dealing with in previous roles that you had as well. Um, yeah. It's just nice. You know, it's really nice to be able to make a decision and literally the same day begin <laughs> on, on that journey. Right. That's what I like. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to work at a design studio and, you know, we'd be pitching like big brands um, against agencies. And mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was just like to be nimble is such a strength. And also the direct path of communication where it's like, hey, you're talking to the creative director or the 
or the person like doing the actual project every time you talk to us. Mm -hmm. And if you need to change, we're changing it. We're not having meetings about meetings. We don't, you know, all these things. Now there's obviously there's resources. um, Like I think like data analytics is probably one of the bigger things that a, a big agency or a big company like brings to the table that a lot of times a small, you know, small company can't those tools that are expensive that all the agencies buy and stuff like that, or just like all the 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 research reports that cost like $150,000 a year or something like that. Oh my God. I'm in the wrong business, dude. Yeah. (laughs) You're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) We figured it out. New zoo. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. So no, you're absolutely right. Like that, that ability to pivot, um, yeah, to be so nimble. I mean, it's it sounds like a small thing, but it's a it's a massive strength. It's true. I uh, by the way, I was I was just thinking back since we were talking about my early career uh, at Sony. I have one funny story that that came out of that. So yeah, uh, when I would I was you know I was the young guy on the team or whatever, uh, working for a lot of executives, um, both amazing men and women, and I so my bag right. I had this. I you know had a little briefcase that I carried around because I was professional, right? I was adulting. <laughs> I was young. I was figuring it out. All perception, right? My dad got me like a, a fun gift. Amazing. So yeah. inside this briefcase or in my backpack when I was traveling, um, <laughs> I, uh, at, at least 20 phones, at least, because we were in mobile entertainment. So it's like, you know, you needed it. It's like, here, look at this. Check this out. Look at this. They're all preloaded. You got all your stuff, right? So I'll never forget, I had this because I was traveling I know where this so is going. frequently. Yeah. I, the TSA hated me. They were convinced <laughs> that I was a drug dealer, like 100% convinced. And they Amazing. the hardest time every time. And one guy would like turn them all on. And he's like, if you know what's on this phone, what are the three games that are on the home screen? And it's like, it, it got, oh it became goodness. like a whole thing. So uh, yeah, I was the, the drug dealing, you know, mobile content guy. Uh, and other people would see me that were traveling to the same conference because they heard the stories. This probably, yeah. ha- I'm not exactly, this probably happened 10 times, you know, in, in Amazing. two years at this point. I think it was the same officer too. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, you again, huh? You again. I'm going to get you this time, you druggie. Well, it made it a lot harder to smuggle drugs. I think it's I know, I had that, to right? stop. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, my it was goodness. a bummer. You know, my it's income like... dropped drastically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Talk about a startup. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I went to run a, an innovation, a design and innovation focused software firm after that called Icon, yeah. Icon Mobile. It was part of WPP. It was going to be my one year in the agency land. You know, I yeah. had worked on the brand side like you did at GameStop, you know, with Sony Pictures and all these cool brands that we had. Uh, and I always heard about agencies and didn't really know anything about them. So I'm like, yeah, it's cool, cool to work there. Yeah, I'll go be an agency dude for a minute. You know, you were marketing arm, right? Uh, yeah, TMA. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what, what turned out to be what I thought was going to be like a year or two for me. Yeah. I blinked twice and it was six years. Right. Um, and it was probably, we did so many cool things at that point, you know, that, that we probably don't have time to get into all that, but, um, building the future of a lot of industries, connected products, you know, the biggest project that I worked on there was, uh, reinventing, you know, the oral care category and smart toothbrushes and, you know, basically quantification of, you know, the time spent while brushing, but taking and building a data ecosystem with other partners. So I, let me say this in like more normal speak. And Please. Not, I'm not crazy already rhetoric. confused. Yeah. Sorry. You lost um, me at toothbrushes. <laughs> there are these things you put in and you know, it, it's oral, oh, oral yeah. health. Um, yeah. You know, they, you're supposed to brush your teeth two minutes in the morning and two minutes in the evening every day four total minutes. Okay. Uh, so you got to add that to my P and L note. <laughs> Good. You're learning all kinds of things, right? Dude, this uh, is very beneficial for me. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, we, we actually took like the average brushing time, which back in when we started was about eh, 58 seconds per session to sure. two minutes and 20 seconds because of what we built, because it was based on people's just awareness of how long they were doing it and, um, and how long they should be doing it or partially what? partially you know we built an experience that really helped teach them more about you know about their their mouth and their teeth and all i know so much more about oral care than i ever thought that i would to be totally honest right. with you but um it was really cool we built this sound algorithm with the fraunhofer institute uh which are the guys who who birthed the digital format of music they're the guys who created the mp3 right 
Um, (laughs) And they they built this sound algorithm that listened for the frequency of which the the power brush, like a a rechargeable electric toothbrush, when you turn it on, they make like that, like that really loud buzzing sound. So we we programmed a mobile device and a mobile application for Oral-B that could pick up that frequency and it would start and stop a timer that was inside the app. So like, who cares, right? It's an R&D thing. But as we got a little more advanced, you know, what, what started with a sound algorithm went into Bluetooth. So now there's a Bluetooth chip in each handle. There's a lot more we could do from like a data perspective and experience yeah. perspective. Eventually, we started using your camera. So we knew where in your mouth you were brushing and where you were negligent. And we could deliver reports back to you that said, hey, you need to add another 30 seconds to your upper, you know, right quadrant because you're not spending enough time there. And it was wow. like this machine learning AI thing that that really worked for people. So how much yeah, did that the, toothbrush cost? Uh, at the time? Uh, it One was, billion it dollars. Was, <laughs> it was uh, it was like it was like two ninety nine for starters, but it's now the commonplace one. All you go into Costco or Sam's Club and you know, that's how you know that the things are commoditized pretty heavily. Um, a lot of those handles have the right. Bluetooth chip in them now too, and they pair with yeah. the phone. But the reason I, I still bring use them, the toothbrush where you move your arm. I mean, I'm, that's where my nerd scars from. <laughs> <laughs> Get with the times, man. I got to send you, I got to send you one of these new ones. I'm a late adopter. It. I'm a late yeah. adopter. Oh boy. I, we got to work on that. We'll take that offline. Uh, but Appreciate my whole that. point in this whole thing, right. Was that, yeah. that we were generating data. Right. And it wasn't like like evil empire data, like put on your tinfoil hat data. It was just like, did you get to the two minutes or not twice a day? And somehow this data became increasingly more relevant as like big data was starting to come. And we were building an ecosystem of partnerships. I'll give you one good example and then we can move on. Yeah. Banking and oral care. Like what relationship do these industries have with each other? Like very Well, sounds like you may need to take out a loan for that toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You are you are snazzy today. I like it. On hey, point. Watch um, out. <laughs> DLC so, drop podcast coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> plug 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 plug. Uh, so bottom line, you know, we we created this data exchange where let's say you're a parent, you're a parent. You got a 5-year-old kid. How hard is it I to did. get your teeth to him to brush his teeth. It's hard, right? Dude, I scrub his teeth like you wouldn't believe because he's had so quite a few f- needs for fillings. Okay. So I'm brushing his teeth and he is for sure getting two minutes. <laughs> twice sure. a day. What happens when he takes over though, right? It's hard. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not much is happening. So I'm trying to like pass it over, but I'm like, my mom sees me do it. She's like, that kid's got the cleanest teeth. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, at some point you're just gonna have to rip the band-aid off. But but there is help, you know. Uh, I, I will send you some some references and some resources. You know, Appreciate we built that. experiences, like if he likes Disney characters or you know, if there's certain certain fun characters, like we literally built a mirror. And, and I mean this happens on your phone too, but uh, towards my end of this time, we were building smart mirrors that it would look exactly like we're looking right now. But it would basically yeah. be like a full screen television experience all around you. And we could turn kids into their favorite character over the two minutes. So like imagine like a Disney princess theme. Oh, they don't want it to end. Like, they're like, yeah, they the just only sit downsides, there and they're like, oh, keep going, you know, like. Uh, the only downside is they're only brushing one side of their, <laughs> yeah, their right? mouth. The they're whole not time. even moving. They're just, just like my kid does. <laughs> he just sits there chewing on it. Um, right. But anyway, just to finish my thought, you know. Um, parents are trying to get their kids to brush. So we felt uh, we had a good way, you know, through a fun game experience for them to do that, transforming them into their favorite characters. It was called the sure. Disney Magic Timer app. Uh, it pairs with cool toothbrushes that unlocks different, you know, scenes and characters. If you scan it, uh, you've probably yep. seen it. It's all over the place now. But yeah. um, from my perspective, the data for the adults, you know, and for the kids was the most important part. We did this deal with this German bank called Erste Bank. Uh, it was the first one that we could pilot it with. And the deal was if we could deliver to them a weekly report that says that, you know, little Johnny or little Susie brushed their teeth perfectly for seven days that week and mom and dad or mom or dad or whoever opened a college savings account for them, then the bank was actually depositing money into the kid's savings account 
it, to reward their compliance with brushing the right way. So the kids had a fun game. The parents were getting paid for their kids' college tuition in, an, you know, in a cool account there. And like, why would the bank do that? Think about it, right? If you open right, a loyalty. savings account yeah. for your kid, what's going to happen? You're not going to change it. You're just going to keep it there for the next 18 years. So, you know, their cost to acquire a new customer for them, the LTV, the lifetime value on that, you know, was substantially higher than, you know, them just getting some brushing data. So that's just a good kind of tangible example of the stuff that I was doing uh, prior to deciding to, uh, to, to really jump down the esports rabbit hole, you know, pretty deep. You know, we can no, I love that. That's like, that's incredibly fascinating that you had the opportunity to do that stuff. So mm -hmm. we talked about the past um, to end this episode. I want you to share with our audience, you know, what, what should we be looking forward to? What do you see? That's what is the thing that either people need to know about? Mm -hmm. That's no, nobody's talking about that they should, or, yeah. you know, what's the next big thing coming? That's a great question. You know, I, uh, I've been really fortunate recently, you know, after that, that, that agency experience, you know, I, I was working with some, some brilliant people, you know, at ultimate and, and the clothing brand Alt. shout out to Nate and JB and Colin and all you guys, but, um, you know, lifestyle and culture, um, right now, I, the number one thing that excites me, I say this all the time. It's, it's one of the most exciting times to be alive and be a fan of video games. Honestly, mm. there's not a lot of great reasons, you know, this year to, to, to really celebrate. We're all just kind of <laughs> kind of getting through. But it's literally the only reason <laughs> yeah, is right. that you can stay home and play video games. It's pretty but much. Yes. I was joking with some of my some of my old friends, like, <clears throat> well, current friends. But we're kind of conditioned for this, this stay at home life as gamers. Like I mentioned earlier, I played video games True. on a computer for 20 hours a day. So, right. You know, you're sitting well, at home. Even even the esports industry, like, I, you know, when I, I was at PRG when this all hit, and so everybody's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do, like, events without people, and how are we going to mm -hmm. do, excuse me, traditional sports without fans, and it's like, esports is like, hold my beer, I've been doing this for 20 years, <laughs> totally. in fact, this year, we were trying to figure out how to do events with fans, <laughs> right, you know, right. like, that's our problem. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it didn't work, uh, but that's always yeah. next year for that, there's always yeah. next year, so, yeah. you know, look, for me, this notion of gaming culture becoming mainstream uh, across yeah. the globe is the thing that that is just getting me up in the morning and, and keeping me up every night too. Because it's like yep. I feel this sense of urgency. There's so many great people, you know, inside our gaming and esports ecosystems, relatively speaking, um, that are doing this. You know, um, startups and net new brands like Alt that we talked about earlier, and and a handful of other endemic brands on the apparel side. But you know, for yeah. me. I feel like the big opportunity still, and this is what what sort of drove me uh, to to my current role with Subnation, right? As we mentioned earlier, you know, I'm the the COO at Subnation, which is a gaming culture and esports lifestyle company. Man, content and media this upcoming year and really into yeah. 2022, gaming video content for the masses. And I don't mean putting video games on TV; that's been done. But for mass right. market audiences, like narrative and and scripted and real like just reality television driven programming across the grid influenced yeah. and inspired by gaming content and culture is is what i'm doing right now and and you know it's amazing if you look at even companies like amazon you know amazon obviously bought twitch you know, in my opinion, the mothership didn't necessarily know how to integrate with it. You know, they were using it to sell more things, but I see Amazon right. coming in in a bigger way. I would predict that they're going to make a very large acquisition uh, of something that is sitting independent. Maybe it's in the same state um, as where they are currently. Mm. Um, but, you know, ultimately, the thing that, that I'm most excited about uh, is to be a key voice. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate enough to, 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 just land in a, in a role and be part of this industry as we're evolving and forming it, you know, that, that I get to be a voice about gaming culture. How does it integrate across different verticals, you know, movies, yeah. music, fashion, um, lifestyle, action sports, which I know is one that's really near and dear to your heart, something you right. and I talk about quite a bit. So uh, yeah. I, I think gaming culture mainstreaming is, is the number one trend that 
you know, I'm working on and that I'm the most excited about in this fun little world that we both live and work in. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think we're going to look forward to, we're definitely looking forward to 2021. Hopefully it's a little different from this year, but I love that. Yeah, just thinking about how gaming can influence culture. And I, I think the, you know, the biggest thing nowadays is like the cool kids are gamers, yeah, you know, and sure. the cool kids game, you know, like, I mean, you have like traditional sports athletes. I mean, these guys are taking consoles with them on trips and everything. And it's mm-hmm. like, like for one, it's it's not just like, oh, gamers are cool. It's like, no, everybody's gaming and it's cool. Right. Which is yeah. awesome. So it's going to be awesome to see how it, uh, how it grows. So before I let you go here, why don't you, anything you want to plug any, uh, way you want people to follow you? You know, the, the other thing that, that I'm really excited about, you know, with regards to, to where the esports world is relative to traditional sports, uh, is having been a, a big part of launching several major esports brands inside Overwatch League and Call of Duty League. It, you know, we, we're really building the future of sports right now, which is a little polarizing, right. but uh, definitely a really amazing time, uh, both on the culture side as well as the future of sports and what that means for, you know, our youth generation growing up. So with all that said, again, I'm I'm just beyond stoked. John, thank you for having me on DLC Drop. You know, I'm so, so happy for you on your new journey. Uh, obviously, I've got my own thing going on. We're doing some stuff together too. Uh, go yeah. check out Subnation, subnation.gg is our hub uh, at SubnationGG across most social networks. Uh, and of course, you can find me at Sedale on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to uh, to more of these episodes, man. I can't wait to see you start dropping. I think you said this was episode 10. So looking forward to seeing the nine before this and the, the thousand that come after this. So thank you again, my man. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of the DLC Drop Podcast, our esteemed guest, Chris Mann. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 